So once you hit. Rory, how's things? I, I'm going to introduce Yeah, good, thanks. <laughs> I get to hear before you. Yeah. Um, yeah, good to have you back again. Um, obviously, we're excited to introduce Adam Harris to the, the podcast, one of the new blokes. Obviously, if you're in the app already, you would have seen Adam sharing his analysis, his views and so on on the markets. And uh, so welcome, Adam. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to excited to be here guys i'm 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 enjoying that myself and i there's a good crowd of people on it it's a very good place to be awesome awesome and you know what pretty at timing um we've just had cpi coming out and we'll come back to a bit about you adam and your your, your history but maybe we can quickly discuss uh, cpi since it's just come out so just my so my commentary was purely technical so uh, i was you can see the kind of curvature of the flow on the one hour for euro dollar. You can see it's sort of very aggressive the last few days, starting to go a bit sideways now, which hints that it's either going to go into consolidation or actually move to the upside. And that's what it's done. So I'm looking at the chart right now. It's broken up through the downward trend line. I'll update, I'll screen grab this. I have actually made a commentary. Uh, if you follow me on the app, you'll see I made a commentary on it. It has followed through on that. Um, and uh, my expectation still, though, is that we're overextended on that dollar. So I would, I want to see if by the end of the week, the dollar reverts and weakens again but as we speak it's strengthening yeah so we've got a stronger dollar yeah for sure yeah i mean obviously we might not see that continuation uh, after we got that kind of decision around interest rates the expectation is that we're not going to look for increases and i think that long term is going to hurt dollar um i've been bullish dollar all the way up for the last kind of you know, three months now um and it's been a great run um some great profits taken off the table now while i kind of reassess you know the next move for the dollar but um, yeah, we've got CPI numbers come in. Um, yeah, so it's obviously it's a it's a beat on both fronts. Yeah, I, I had a question for you guys, which is, do you think so? So I, I'm going to just and again, you can tell I'm more of a technical trader than anything else. But I have, uh, and this is something that could be a, a longer discussion on a, on a separate note. But I'm of the opinion. So this is my kind of take on Biden. I think he's old fashioned. He's been around. He's been doing this for 50 years. He's worked with several presidents over time. I think he's old fashioned. I think he's of the opinion that he, you know, this this low interest rate, heavy borrowing kind of um, trend that we've been in since the early 2000s. I think he wants to try to find a way where we go back to more old fashioned ways, which means, you know, we get used to slightly higher interest rates and people don't expose themselves or lend as much, borrow as much. And what that might mean is you have to go through a tough patch for a while, but it means that if we get comfortable with three or 4%, at a high interest rate, for example, then the next time we have a financial crisis, it's not going to be as bad and they have more room to maneuver, that kind of thing. That's sort of my expectation. So I believe, and it's not necessary that he can influence all that, but I believe that based off of that, there's a possibility that that I'm hoping we don't get any more rate hikes, but I'm hoping, I think they're going to try and hold them for longer. And that's just my uneducated or my non-fundamental analysis kind of two cents. I don't know what you guys think. I think that'll hurt him though when, comes, when it comes to election time, that's going to hurt him if that's his principal aim, personally. Um, what's your opinion on that, Rory? I love the way you threw the Biden question over to me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to say that with a straight face as well. <laughs> um, I, I, I personally don't think anything to do with economic policy is going to hurt or protect Biden in any sense. I think, you know, everything we're just seeing in the US right now, I just don't think it's going to help him. I think a lot of people over there want change. And, and I'm putting economic policy aside for a minute, but everything, you know, I think Americans want change at the minute and they're, and they're really desperate for it. They want the change after 2020 came, after COVID came, they got the change they wanted. And now they're, whether it was stolen or, or it was it was um, legit, 
that's to argue, but let's put it aside and say that it was legit. They got their change that they wanted, and now they've realised that they've made the wrong decision. I think the rest of the world has now realised that too. And I think they're going to want change again. Where change comes from, I, I don't know. Do I think it's Trump? Do I think it's you know DeSantis, anybody else? It, it could be anybody, but that's aside the point. I think, as Adam says about monetary policy, I think not even just Biden, but the world in general needs to get off this um, free-floating thought that interest rates can stay at 0% for, for the remainder of life. Because remember, you know, what is interest rates? Well, it's it's basically the borrowing of money and it's basically the cost of, of, of capital. And nobody borrows anything for free and nobody lends anything for free. So that happened for such a long period of time. And the reason it happened was because people just weren't stimulated to buy money or to buy assets. And this was the stimulation to try and get people back into the market and try and gain some confidence. You know, I think I, I done a bit of a survey, well, not a bit of survey, but a bit of a data screening. And, the, you know, average interest rates from the 1980s is like 5%, 6%. So we're just back at the average, you know, and statistics will always tell you that everything reverts back to the mean. And here we are, we're, we're back to the mean. I just don't think there's any reason to ever be back to those 0% interest rates. You know, we were there because of the great financial crisis. And and what happened there was it, it probably affected a lot of businesses and a lot of financial institutions a lot more than it affected consumers. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I lost a job and I lost a house. Yes, you lost a 100K. Have you lost me yes. or I've lost you in a second, but that's okay. He's gone on too long anyway. <laughs> um, I, I have a... There we go. We got you. So sorry, Rick. Carry on. Sorry, repeat that. Yeah. Sorry. Where did Where did you lose me? Just Wait, about, about twenty seconds ago. So uh, well, you, I agree with you. You were talking about kind of we got too comfortable with these lower sort of interest rates, and I think also the money was pretty good for for you know for institutions and stuff, and I think they quite liked it. And the problem is they didn't think anything was ever going to go wrong, and so we kind of slow walked into a bit of a, a, a calamity, and and so now we have to kind of maybe adopt a little bit more of a overall uh, conservative approach but also i for fun i want to i want to throw in a, a prediction um and then we'll just have to see how it plays out because we've got a whole year before this whole thing plays out my prediction is that biden is going to cruise through he's going to walk right through and the gap between him and trump was about 8 million votes i think it's going to be 15 to 22 million um and I, we could talk forever about why i think that's going to be the case but i'm just this is going to be my prediction uh and also trump's going to be in prison very much before then so he won't he won't really be a viable option there's nothing can stop him from going to jail now he's going to go to jail um and so it's it's a but and i agree with you i think people you know people want change but i think what they've kind of determined and we've, we've the problem is that globally we're sitting with this whole thing of russia this whole attack on israel we we're the, it's like a, it feels like everything is just close to boiling and just everything is just kind of going to overflow um and so but so what i think at the moment is i think people are probably going to opt for maybe they want to change again but i think they're going to opt for stuff that maybe was before 2016 maybe go back to that because anything since 2016 just seems to be pure madness but i agree the world is just on a cliff edge and we're going to have to see how it all goes and you want to be sane right you want to just stay sane you want things to just calm excuse my language but you want things to just calm the f down man so yeah, I agree, yeah. but I think he's coming to that age now. And I'm not sure if he could. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. You, you're going to need a backup plan because, you know, you, you, you're going to need that. I agree. I'm not disputing that. The age is a real thing. But he doesn't bring drama the way that we, we get in the past and this chaos of the Republican Party at the moment. They just don't know what they're doing. They just kind of. Um, and so they, and so right now, you know, I look at all the unions, pro-union. Well, OK, so this is what he wants to do. He wants to rebuild the middle class because what's happened is over the last kind of 
couple of decades, we've been seeing through the tax cuts for the rich, which doesn't trickle down, which we all know this happening. You've got this gap between the ultra rich and then kind of middle class has been taking strain. So that that's not really a great thing. You want a really strong, healthy middle class. Well, I mean, that's Ray Dalio's opinion. That's kind of my opinion as well. That supports both the kind of the lower and upper classes. And you need the upper class to pay their benefit off the infrastructure. So you've got to get them to pay taxes toward that and a fair amount of taxes, not an unreasonable amount. But let's say they're paying five or six now, you need them to pay 10 or 15. That's all. Um, and you kind of need to balance things out about. Uh, and, and so that's what's, those are the kind of things that we, we need to see some of those adjustments come in. And right now, man, there's just so many things out of whack. Like we said now, getting used to those low interest rates and people living at the edge of their means. They talk about how many people in America are living paycheck to paycheck and they shouldn't be, you know, and that, you know, you've got inflation is still an issue in some areas. So, 50%, so many things 50% that I'm of Americans, I think. Sorry? 50% of Americans on 100K a year, I think, are paycheck to paycheck, something yeah. like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's a 100K a year, you and know, after taxes, 65. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's true. Sorry, I was just going to say that if you make a job here in London, so if you're in the UK, a 60K job in London would be $110,000, $120,000 in the US. Um, yeah. So it seems on paper they're making more money, but maybe not at the end of the day. But paycheck to paycheck is not good, man. Yeah, and I don't want to continue on this long because I know Rory is going to go on because I'm challenging <laughs> okay. so, politics out of the equation sometimes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what do you want to do is you want to find out a bit more about you, Adam. Obviously, a bit about yeah. your background. Let the listeners know a bit about what you do, how you trade, your techniques, you know, and maybe just a bit about what you believe that can help some of our listeners that are listening as well. Okay, so uh, I mean, and again, just kind of motion to me if I'm if I'm taken up, you know, if I'm just sort of hogging the microphone, that's not my intention at all. So just to sort of say where I am today, I'm a technical trader. Um, I'm usually at my desk for the UK Open, so the tail end of the Tokyo session. Uh, so somewhere around 7.30 and then I'll look for trading setups that often will occur and I'll be done by 9.30 or so, or at least all my orders will be placed. And then we can get a little bit of a lull before the US session kicks off and if I, Excuse me, if I've had a really good morning, if I've had a really good morning, I'll probably not trade the US session. But otherwise, if I've been waiting for setups, let's just say that I'm waiting for a correction on the one hour or a retracement or a pullback and it hasn't happened, it can often happen by the time the US session kicks off. So then I'll take my trading for about 90 minutes during that period. Often at the end of day, 6.30, 7 o'clock, I'll look at the daily chart to see if there's any end of day setups. And then I manage my own stocks portfolio. Um, so I've been heavily influenced in terms of value investing by Buffett, Ray Dalio, uh, Michael Burry, uh, and a few others. But I often use technicals for my entries. So uh, my even portfolio is stock, a lot. Even for sorry. your stock portfolio, yeah, you use technicals. Yeah, 100%. Value. So, um, which is why, you know, uh, I wonder if I can bring it up. Uh, I can't show you, but is it, I'll, I'll post it on the site. But I mean, I just got the cleanest entry into NVIDIA. And, and the only reason I mentioned it is not because you know NVIDIA was going to go the way it was. It wasn't necessarily going to be a 10-bagger. But you can see how crisp technicals help identify that the shift has moved from bearish to bullish. Um, for me, my faith in technicals is 100%. So in order for that to make sense to you, I have to kind of go back to the beginning to give you a little bit of a history about myself, if that's okay. Sure. Just before we do that, right, I want to pull you on that question. So you said you have full faith in your technicals, which is great. But tell me, do you have a bias before you go to your charts? I mean, before you look at your charts to pull out your technicals, you know, to you know, is there do you have a bias, like a buyer or sell bias before you get there for maybe sentiment or fundamental no. or any other? You have no. no bias whatsoever. 
No, so I usually find that destroys the results, the end result. Um, and so again, it's in the story. So it's in the story. <laughs> so it explains why I don't do that. Um, because, you know, so let, let me explain. Let me go back. So just very quickly, I used to be in the movie business. So I was kind of, I got into the visual effects, animation, post-production business in the early days, just, just a year or two after Jurassic Park came out very good at kind of what I did and that got me onto that sort of technical background. Um, but, and I didn't know this because I had no financial experience in 2007, 2008, but our, I had a company was doing relatively well. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, you know, we weren't getting asked to quote much as much. The budgets were shrinking. It was really bad. I mean, like we were getting, instead of getting asked to quote something once a day, we were suddenly asked every two weeks and the budgets were like 30% of what they were. And often marketing is the first thing to get chopped when companies are trying to cut back costs. So I wasn't watching the news because I was working 80 hours a week, didn't realize that there was this huge market crash kind of thing going on. And I had actually been qualified as a project management professional and I was looking at moving overseas. And what I was doing that I was dabbling and saying, learn how to trade stocks. I kind of wanted to move in that direction. Um, and then uh, basically decided to, so at this point, we had a couple of big jobs. We got some big payments. And I thought that's it. I'm going to cash out now. I sold my shares to my partner, moved overseas, uh, got to, actually went to Scotland and worked in the oil industry for a year. I have a brother-in-law that's been incredibly successful in that area. So he's a multi-millionaire many times over. And so I worked helping him build up the brand and, and kind of manage that side of the business for a year. And then I came down to London. And when I arrived, I had some cash in pocket. I thought, that's it. Now's my time. I'm going to learn how to trade. Ended up paying quite a bit of money for a very average kind of course. But while I was on that course, and it had everything. It was a stocks. Uh, program side to it. all of it was really technical, um, but we also spoke about cock data. So um, uh, we spoke about different kinds of things, but we were predominantly uh, technical. And while I was doing that, I was then introduced, and this is the key moment. So I, I was like, when am I going to become a trader? When will I know that I've now qualified as a trader? It really felt like I was very much punching in the dark because there were times when I would take a good trade, make money. And then I would take a bit of a punt, which is a different actual behavior. It's a very different behavior. So the one is when you, it's kind of like you're on a diet or you're eating healthy and then you decide to eat a slice of cake because you've earned it or you deserve it. So that, that's similar type of behavior when you're trading. So when you're trading, you're really looking, it's an evidence-based activity. You're looking for evidence to support the idea that a market is much more likely to go one way than another. And I would do that. And of course, the results are pretty good because even then you've got a 70, let's call it a 70% win ratio, which means you're going to win 70% of the time. And then there's the profit ratio, which is how much you make when you win. So uh, again, I think we have to distinguish very much between the difference between trading and investing. They're not the same activity. Um, trading is a much more shorter term immediate, which way is the market likely to go now? Not where is it going to be in a week from now or a month from now? Because whatever it's doing a month from now or a week from now, whatever, I'll be trading it in that direction. So, so when fundamental analysts and investors, value investors, often talk about ignoring the day-to-day -day noise of the markets because the fundamentals are much more likely to play out over a longer period of time, traders are working on the inverse of that. They're only concerned with the day-to-day -day noise. They're not concerned with what the longer-term view is because the market can produce multiple opportunities during the day that don't really have anything to do with the fundamentals. The market can have a, it can correct for two hours. If you're principally bullish on gold, for example, the market gold can still head down for six hours before it closes eight hours later, much higher. So you could still temporarily short the market. And so traders are operating two sides of the same coin, right? But traders are operating on the, on the inverse of that idea. They're not concerned with the bigger picture fundamentals. And that's a crucial 
mental concept to accept. Because if you don't accept that, there'll be a shorting opportunity and you're bullish. So you'll miss out on that. Or, so you'll move your stop loss because you keep going, well, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up. And then the market could ultimately change. Or conversely, um, you could be heavily bearish. You think the market's going to crash. It has to crash. The news is terribly bearish. All these things, inverted bond yields, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, it's bottoming out and any technical trader can see that it is now becoming bullish. So I, while I was doing this program, this futures trader who was presenting that day said, you should follow this guy, Nick McDonald, who owns a company called Trade With Precision. He was actually an ex-Citibank trader and he was technical. So I subscribed to his newsletter. So I was very lucky in the way that this happened. I was watching the newsletter, came out every week. He would do three minutes on the US indices, global markets, and three minutes on, on uh, dollar index. And he was purely technical. And despite what I was hearing in the news, so this is 2010, 2011, we've got the fear of Greece defaulting and then Spain's going through stuff and we've got a trade war, talk of trade war with the US. And uh, you're just thinking, okay, this is gonna happen. So I'd constantly be taking trades and they would often be against his analysis. He'd be like, listen, I'm looking at the weekly candle, Euro dollars bullish. If it breaks a high of this, I expect it to go higher. And I'd be listening to the news and the sentiment would be very, or at least through, through uh, osmosis or just through exposure to it, that, that it would tell me, no, 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 you need to kind of short the market. And, and so I'd override the technical signals. And it was just about, it took me an entire year to capitulate, to finally go, Nick's consistency week to week to week was like 100%. He was like, if it breaks this high, it's going up. If it breaks down, it's going low. And I just thought I need to let go of this bias. So this is why I'm telling the story because I had to, took me a year to get to a place where I just thought this, the bias that I have, and remember it's obviously garbage in, garbage out. So my bias could have come from terrible data. So it's not a reflection on other people's fundamental data. It was just a reflection on whatever my sources were. Anyway, so I eventually decided to switch to technicals. And I think even then, it still took me a couple of years to, to prevent the bias from kind of coming in. But this, that must have ended in 2017. Um, just before we continue on this story, and I want to continue on the story, but I think, you know, I think I, I have a few questions um, yeah. because, look, you know, and I think Rory will, will have a few questions as well because we're slightly different traders. You know, um, I know Rory is a... Is a big fundamentalist when it comes to trading and, and again Rory does run stock portfolios and so on yeah he also brings that into um he's going kind to of day trading as well with certain data that you know we can talk about now in a minute but you know for me personally um I wouldn't be able to lock myself in a dark room look at charts and without any outside noise and and well I, I would there's no doubt about it but I feel like I'm at a disadvantage you know for me I think the longer that you're trading the more that you build up this um, this gut instinct, this instinct of what's happening in the markets and how to like understand the, the you know where the big money is going to be moving for what reasons and so on and you know where to place your trades or you know so I'm not saying even on short term trades like I'll even trade a range right but I'll only trade let's say the the resistance on that the range if I'm, if I'm if I'm bearish or yeah. you know, I'll only trade the support yeah. if I'm, if I'm I think you know, so it's not like I will still take them shorter term trades, but I'll only take on one side of it potentially. And maybe I'm losing out on the other side of it potentially, but yeah. it's all about the, for me, it's all about how many, you know, we can get right and the consistency. So and I think, I think last week, Jonathan, I think last week, sorry, we had a really good analogy we used of, of my sort of trading versus other people's. And that was is that, you know, yourself and I would rather be on a desert island 
with the news and a phone to ring the broker rather than any charts. <laughs> and I think Adam would rather be there with a laptop and a screen. Which is which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Without any news. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that kind of my... highlights, you know, in our eyes, the importance of, of fundamental data. And in your eyes, Adam, that highlights the importance of, of charts. You know, if, if going forward from now, if somebody says charts are banned, it, it, it literally wouldn't change a thing I yeah. do in, in my job. Oh, I could ring the broker yeah. and say, what's the price? What's the price? Yeah. You know. And and that's but, that's the beauty of of having you know different traders having different opinions and different views and and look not not everybody wants to know fundamentals fundamentals you know not everybody wants to know technicals but if we can combine them all and I'm a big believer of trying to combine everything and uh, yeah. you know to to try to increase that consistency but if it whatever works for you is working you know I mean it's clearly working for you you know you can you can back it up with your 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 success rates and and so on and which is which is awesome and that's why it's great to get different opinions different views because not yeah. every listener is going to listen to us and go yeah you're right. Well, you're wrong. You're not going to worry. So we and, and it's a big part of you know obviously you coming on board and, and and giving a different viewpoint for our listeners because you know it can be done, but maybe not for me personally. You know. So and that's it. So I have, I agree with you 100. I think let me be clear that I was unable to find a way to to utilize fundamental sources and data for me. I was unable to do that. Um, but when I, you know, when I read through the Market Wizard series, Jack Schrager stuff, he's got a mix of of different people in there, and you can tell how some people have gone pretty technical and some people have gone pretty fundamental, and they're all very much successful because they've found a way to take in the data. They know where they they need to get their data from. They know how to process it. They know how to then take action around it. And absolutely, what you're saying here is that it it might be a case of different strokes for different folks, you know. So we, so that some people just are not sure they suffer from analysis paralysis when they're looking at data sources. Maybe they don't know how to keep it pure and how to apply it and how to take action on it. And for me, so I'll make the case for technical analysis and you guys make the case for fundamental analysis, but I am not opposed to it. I just don't require it. Um, and so what I do is the way that I approach stuff. So my analogy, for example, would be say surfing. So let's say you're going surfing. So in order to surf, you need to be able to swim. That's obviously a safety or risk management aspect. Then what you would do is, you would go out to a particular area, ideally where they would be known for having the right kind of waves. If it was flat as anything, you wouldn't go out because there's no activity, there's no volatility, so to speak. And if it was incredibly stormy and choppy, you potentially wouldn't go out because it's too dangerous for you. So there's a range where you would, within your comfort zone, you would be able to navigate those types of conditions. So you'd paddle out, you'd wait for a set of waves, which you know, you know, occur. You'd then timing. So now it's about timing. You've got to be able to swim. You've got to be able to get up on your board. So there's training involved in being able to time it and get on your board. When you're on that wave, it's real time. You're navigating it. Now, no two waves are the same, but a wave is a wave is a wave. So no two snowflakes are the same, but we can identify a snowflake. They're never the same, but they, they have similar characteristics. So you're riding this wave. You don't have unrealistic expectations. You don't say, I need this wave to take me to work after this because it's early morning or it's not going to take me home. You know that waves die. You also know that shortly after, at some point after, there's going to be another wave coming. So you ride the wave. You either fall off or you get off. You paddle out and you do that until you run out of energy or you're done for the day or time is up. And then you go home. So what happens now when you're a technical trader, it's very similar to that. You get into a particular market, you're looking ideally, well, this is how I do it. Looking for a strong trend, I'm looking for those waves. Then it's a question of timing. So it's a breakout or a pullback, I'm looking for that. And I know that it's a limited move. So two to one, three to one, looking to close out on that. And then what it really does become about is, I guess, the ability for me to identify those waves, time it, 
capture the profits and move it. And so those patterns, as we know, head and shoulders, double bottoms, double tops, all those things, they occur in any market, any time frame. And so what I'm taking advantage of is a different aspect of the same machine that's there. And remember that while I'm doing all this stuff, I don't necessarily need, need to know how waves are formed. I don't need to really know. I just need to be able to identify them and navigate them. Um, not to say that having more knowledge wouldn't help me more, but, but I'm saying just saying that, that right? you could do. You would keep your eye on the economic calendar, for instance, and you'd be interested in what data is coming out. Absolutely. 100%. Because what you want is imagine you find a beautiful trend. It's just moving. The market's just moving consistently. You don't want that disrupted. And the economic calendar news is the best resource for determining if there is something coming up that could disrupt a beautiful trend. Um, and that's what you want. So you need, it's again, it's part of your risk management plan. Is if someone's going to throw a hand grenade and you want to, you want to know about that. Agreed. And, and, and from a fundamental point viewpoint, like I was never a big fundamental trader. Like I was very much a sentiment trader and I'd back that up with my technicals. Obviously I'd keep an eye on, you know, really the, the, the extent of my fundamentals went to like an economic calendar and knowing what that data, what effect that data is going to, going to have on, on the markets. Obviously, you know, Rory's kind of twisting my arm, twist my arm about, you know, other data points that we can kind of find and, and, and to get better decision-making process. I agree, you can get paralyzed with analysis and too much analysis, um, but we're, we're three very different traders, you know, sentiment, very much sentiment-based, technical, you're solely technical, small bit of data, and then Rory's on the other side of that is their complete fundamentalist. And I think it's a nice kind of a, it's, yeah. it's nice to get three, three completely different sides of the coin. You know, if that's possible. I think, <laughs> I think one of one of the interesting things you always read about, you know, if you ever watch the old um, Berkshire Hathaway conferences, you, you always got people asking Charlie Munger, you know, about uh, quant funds and things like this. And he always went off and said that, you, you know, Jim Simons, he he didn't necessarily say he didn't know what he was doing, but he always said that his style of trading wasn't for us, you know. And, and Jim Simons is known to be one of the most famous mathematicians in the world, probably one yeah. of the best you know there's ever been. And he set up a hedge fund called Renaissance. And they averaged like 40% from, I don't know, like 1998 or, or 1988 up to like present day, you know, and that's something that, you know, Berkshire couldn't replicate either. And the fact that a mathematician could do it with completely, you know, it's not technicals, but it's more yeah. the quant side of it. Yeah. It's and the, and the reason why Charlie said that he would never integrate that into Berkshire is because he doesn't know anything about it. You know, he held his hand up and says, that's not my industry. I don't. Yeah. That was a really yeah. good <laughs> we're fast year again. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. Uh, but it's true. You they know, always said so, if they don't understand it, they wouldn't touch it. It's true. Yeah. And 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 that's the key point. And you know, Jim doesn't well, it's not that he doesn't know, but Jim wouldn't have the same fundamental and yeah. financial analysis background as maybe Charlie and uh, Warren would have. And he never tried to implement that in reminiscence. He always tried to keep it a heavy quant fund using mathematicians uh, from around the world, all this Oxford and Cambridge studied to come there and try and find different ways that, you know, to make arbitrage opportunities in the market. Yeah. And look, it yeah. worked, it worked for, it worked for both guys. The funds couldn't have been any different, you know, literally yeah. both ends of the spectrum. Who yeah. do you choose? Well, that's just up to you. What, um, what you believe works best and what you're yeah. more comfortable investing. And it's back to what you said, Adam, Adam about surfing. It's what you're comfortable with. You yeah. know, if you're uncomfortable, if you're comfortable investing into, into a fundamental fund, and you think that judging by what's happening in the news around you, you can then gauge entry and exit points. If that's what you're comfortable with, great. Yeah. But if you're more comfortable looking at charts to gauge entry and exit points, fine. Go with that. Yeah. You know, well, uh, yeah. So, 
So for example, and actually I will do this. One of the things I'm really looking forward to in terms of contributions is I'm keen on, so two things, for example, I'm keen on recording a video where I kind of go through, so Berkshire Hathaway, you can kind of see all the companies they list. And then what I would do is give my two cents on the technical uh, appeal of it. Cause I've gone through a few of them and some of them look fantastic and some of them look like garbage from a technical perspective. So if you think of a, if you think of a strong, strong stock performer as having a healthy heartbeat, and then you look at something that potentially is really volatile. One of the things that I cannot do that can't be done per se as a technical trader is to determine if something is a poor performer and undervalued and will ultimately or will in terms of probabilities at some point suddenly start performing well. I can't. My, what I'm good at is I'll look at something and go, okay, this is performing well. You can get in now. So in other words, I need some evidence first before I can kind of enter on that. Um, and that, that those are different, but, but, and so that's a weakness with the technical analysis. You can't really do that from a, so it means that when I work through those constituents, I'd look at a few and go, wow, this is fantastic. You know, so I'll look at Microsoft, I'll look at Amazon, I'll look at Apple and I'll be like, those are beautiful heartbeats, so to speak. But then I might look at something like, um, I might look at something like, like, I don't know, BP or something like that and just go, this is garbage because it's just, you know, it's not a great performer. And I won't even have to look at the fundamentals because I'm just looking at the heartbeats and going, this can't be a good performer if it looks like this, you know. But you will have so much more information than me on that. But for me, I'll just move on. I just can't, I can't you know. So it's, it's, a, it's uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And so on the side, I want to also, I was thinking of doing things like a live stream where you can just, you know, you're trading the one minute, walking through, how the market is kind of playing out and how you can extract a three to one trade from that. Um, and then it becomes a numbers game, right? So you need to maybe take four trades because two are losers and two are winners and you're up three to one. But those are the kind of things I'm looking forward to introducing in terms of content with you guys so that people can see it demonstrated because it really does have to be the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. 100%. And you're never shy of showing your results, which is great. And that's you know, a, a big part of, you know, what we're about here to about trading as well is just to carry on that kind of integrity and honesty within, you know, within the industry and quality. unless you're, you're able to actually stand up and, and show back up what you're, what we're talking about. Um, so, so obviously uh, we won't keep it too much longer, but maybe you can offer some tips or any other kind of suggestions that you think that, you know, traders that can help traders and, yeah, any any kind of golden nuggets that you you think there you know could be could be good value. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a series of of books as well that have been phenomenal. There's a there's a great one called uh, it's by Annie Duke. I think it's a poker playing thing. Uh, uh, let me just quickly see. so some good just some good reading, phenomenal stuff. Ray Dalio's stuff is absolutely incredible. So just talking in terms of recommended reading that I think changes the way you think about things because you kind of do need to. Your brain must be flexible and as we get older i think in every way our brains tend to get more rigid because as a result of survival right the longer you've been around that it in theory it kind of tells you you must be doing something right so you tend to become more rigid in your way of doing things and i think that's the enemy of of growth in order to grow you need to keep your brain flexible what was the turning point for you do you think when you go okay great i've grasped this now do you know like what was that turning point where you're like wow okay now i'm consistent now i'm making So I said earlier that I'd done a course and I felt like I was sort of punching in the dark. I didn't really know what was going on. And then I was introduced to trade with precision and they had a course. So I thought, well, should I have to pay for another one? But then I actually made the decision to do it. And I was about an hour into that. And then I realized that was the right way to go. And then everything started to fall into place to me because you would, you, you need to build up 
the case to take the trade. And you need to know starting with what is the most important stuff that I need to start with and build up from that. And once, once I got that, it made sense to me. It was intuitive, but it actually made sense to me. And that was where all of a sudden I was like, okay, now I, I've got it. I don't need these indicators. I need those indicators and I need to start building up on top of price action. And then it became about practice. So even then, once I started to kind of figure it out and I knew, okay, this is starting to make sense to me, I would, um, I would still make mistakes. So I'd still make mistakes, but I would say probably within about 18 months of that, I had become very consistently, uh, my ability to read price action, to determine where it's most likely going to go next, um, and my ability to sort of consistently trade around that. And at the same time, so trading is about having, you know, there's an unlimited number of things you have to do right. And there's also an unlimited number of things that you must not do. So you don't increase your risk. You don't revenge trade. You don't move your stop loss. And meanwhile, you're trying to calculate your risk correctly, try to be unemotional, try to be objective. There's this list. And the problem is you can do everything in the one column correctly and then do something, one thing from the column you're not supposed to do. And then you jeopardize the, the outcome. So the journey for me was probably over those 18 months was trying to eradicate the bad habits. Um, Bruce Lee always goes on about that. He was always, you know, trying to keep it simple. Trying to trading is really about doing the simple things really well. It's not about complexity. So Agreed. yeah, that's that. That would be my one thing. Take it away. It's about doing the simple things really well. Sure, 100%. And like we often talk about our own journeys and so on. You know, for me, it was a long, lonely journey of misinformation until. You know, I, I, I got hold of a mentor and, you know, trading for a long time now um, really wasted energy and time and money. And and then until you have, you know, got access to a mentor that was able just to sit me down and, and just, you know, focus me in the right way, put a strategy in front of me. And it was about keeping it simple. I think anyone, you know, it's about having certain certain confirmations before we take a trigger you know and and just building around that strategy around that and 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 that's just simplicity and you know that that willingness to take a loss and accept that loss because you have to lose to, to, to make money you know which is a crazy thing to get your head around but you know small little things that that just make a huge difference and i and i think you know within six months i learned more than i did in the previous 10 years you know so yeah. Like you know, that, that that that's that's the difference I find, and and again, whatever that is, um, the, the, the I suppose I think we're I think we're almost like a mirror image of our mentors in in some ways. Everyone is, and I think you know if you go down a line of doing a real strong technical course, or somebody's training you as a real technical analyst, I think that's just going to be shape you. It's like you know, it's like supporting a football team. All of a sudden, that's your team. You know, you know, you're you're loyal to what you've learned in 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 a sense, and. I think certainly um, it's it's great because you're such a keen technical analyst and Rory's such a rigid fundamentalist, you know. Uh, I think it's a it's a really good kind of a mix that we have now. I love it because I like I love I, Rory. I just I love your comment on my stuff as well. You'll I'll be saying this and I can't give anyone really a fundamental explanation for it, and then Rory will step in and go. This is kind of what the data is pointing to that could support that. Love it. It's fantastic because yeah. you do. Yeah, it's and for people who are on the app, you're getting a very healthy dose of quality stuff, which is yeah, because a, a lot of people in the past would you know would ask me you know what where's the chart going and what where's this and I'm like I've I've no, I have no idea I I don't know what where the chart's going to go I don't know how it's going to react you know and they're talking about one minute candlesticks and things like that and I'm like geez I didn't know they existed you know well, I did but you know what I mean I was yeah. like I've never looked at them 
And it's just things like that I, I would break down. You know, there's many days that I don't even go on that chart. I just want to look through the news and look uh, through the data. Yeah. And by looking looking through the news and the data, I can gauge in my head where things are going to be, how things are going to react. You know, sometimes you get surprises here and there, and it's like yeah. that prompts you to open up the chart. It's like, shit, you know, why is your 105.50 or 106? Yeah. You yeah. know, when, when US inflation's been higher, you know, why yeah. is that the case? I, I yeah. want to find that out. So then I go in and... You know, one, one great and, and, of, of that actually was, you know, you put a call up on the app there about euro dollar taking a turn. You're saying, look, it's overextended on, on on the technicals and so on. And actually, funny enough, when it came out, I was on a call to Rory and uh, I was like, oh, look, I've just had a look there. Um, and we were talking, I think it was maybe pre-podcast or something. Uh, and we were talking about, you know, where the dollar's going at the moment and, you know, the strength that was still in it at that point but you were still saying no you know we can see you're actually looking to turn here and i didn't i didn't see that personally at that time you know so it does show you that having you know a completely different you know point of view can just give you you know a, like i had a contrasting opinion at that time but seeing how it played out it was like there, there you go you know the technicals really ruled over that it's uh you know i find that uh and actually, you never read the other thing as well. And this is another big piece of advice is I got to a point where I didn't and Nick wasn't involved in the in the industry anymore. And I didn't really know where to go next to continue building up my skills because you first of all, you, your ego says, well, you should be good enough now. You shouldn't have to you learn from anyone else. But actually, the reality is, is that I just didn't run into anyone who 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 I could see was consistently out kind of reading the markets at the time. And it, it might have just been, I'm not reading enough books or I'm not on YouTube enough or something like that. But I came across a couple of people on, on YouTube whose technical readings were actually very, very good. And the lesson is that I think what inspires me and what I enjoy the most is to continue looking for other people who've got the skills. And you're lucky if you can rub shoulders or be in the same room as someone else who has knowledge that you don't have, because that keeps you excited about why this is such an amazing thing to be involved in and you can make money doing it so you can enjoy it and you can keep learning there's like mm -hmm. i don't think there's ever a ceiling to it and in the last two years my my day trading has changed dramatically where i was really good on the one hour and the four hour because the market was moving a lot slower i was terrible below the one hour whereas now i can trade the one minute with no problem and that's and but part of that I had to change the way I thought about things. I had to change certain things. My ability to read price sections improved. But changing the way you think about things, for example, was letting go. Was I was going no no no. You know gold's bullish. And meanwhile, there's definitely, for example, a, a thirty minute bearish setup. You know you you've got to take all your trades within a single four hour candle. So you only need a single four hour candle to go your way to make your money. And that requires breaking your brain. And the only way I got to that point was by finding about other traders and seeing how their brains work and how their brains think. So it's good to mix with, with well, other people. Absolutely. And look, on a Monday, obviously, we do kind of like a market breakdown uh, for the week ahead and so on. So it'd be certainly interesting to see your opinion on, on one of those in terms of your yeah. technical opinion. And then we can kind of, we can run obviously the, the brain of Rory's fundamental analysis on top of that and overlay it and see see where we get with it. So um, we really appreciate your time today coming on. Uh, like I Thank said, you for having me. Uh, Adam will will be in the app offering his analysis and so on. Go on. You can chat to any of us, as you know, ask any questions, and we'll be more than happy to, to see you guys in there. All yeah, right, thanks thank very much, Adam. Very Appreciate much. your time. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks. That should be saved in your end then.